This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. We are going to pay tribute to one of the great assassination researchers tonight, the late Mae Brussel. We'll pay tribute to her legacy, uh, which is, I guess you'd have to say her legacy is that she was one of the first, if not the first, researcher to connect the dots between the Nazis and the JFK assassination. Alex Constantine, uh, well, the uh, Feral House has just released, re-released, a a book edited by um, Alex Constantine, who's standing by. It's called Fascism in America, The Essential May Brussel. And Alex, wow, it's... I was trying to... uh, uh, remember how long it's been since I've talked to Alex Constantine. I guess we'd have to go back maybe 14 years since his seminal work, The Covert War Against Rock, came out. Uh, and as I say, now Farrell House has re-released his uh, book, Fascism in America, The Essential May Brussel, which came out originally about five years ago. Alex, as I say, standing by. Uh, just a reminder... The Conspiracy Show, my television program, now in Season 3 across Canada on Vision, airs Monday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. And this week, another good one for you, Marilyn Monroe uh, will present evidence that uh, she was not the victim of a suicide, but rather foul play, murder, and whether Bobby Kennedy may have had a hand in that. Uh, Speaking of the TV program, we are now in 110 markets, 110 markets in the U.S., and uh, just got some data from our our distributor down there. We are now number one in our time slot in Albuquerque and number two in Houston. Uh, Or maybe it's the other way around. Anyway, uh, the program is doing gangbusters in Houston and Albuquerque. So if you're listening in on one of our affiliates uh, in the U.S., Uh, to the radio program, that is. Check your local listings to see if The Conspiracy Show, the TV program, is on in your market. And if not, by golly, call the TV station and ask, why not? And uh, just one more item before we get to Alex. Follow the truth. Follow the truth. 
the Conspiracy Show Summit, number, uh, November the 16th. It's coming around fast. If you haven't ordered your passes, please get on that quick. This is my inaugural all-day conference-style event. I'll, appearing, I'll be appearing live at the Regent Theater in Oshawa, and I'm bringing a half dozen, maybe more. Uh, we're announcing more speakers very soon. Great speakers. Bringing them to town. Uh, if you're into time travel, past lives, the Matrix, Roswell, Rendlesham, crop circles, pyramids, the money mafia, this conference is for you. So call the box office, 905 721 3399. Mention the code word Roswell, receive 25% off the price of your, your passes. And you can visit followthetruth.com. TV for more details. And tonight's radio contest question is on the homepage. Just scroll down. Again, follow the truth.tv, scroll down, find the question. And then when you've got the answer to that question, call Tim in studio here. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. With the correct answer, and you'll walk away with a pair of passes to follow the truth at Conspiracy Show Summit. All right, all you Brussels sprouts, and I use that term with tremendous respect because that's what her devotees or disciples are called. Without a doubt, May Brussels stands as one of the premier researcher and investigative journalists, and she can accurately be described as one of the forerunners of what is now accepted commonly as citizen journalism in the current blogging world, and she's directly inspired the work of many prominent researchers, including my first guest here on The Conspiracy Show tonight, Alex Constantine. In her early life, May was a married housewife, housewife with five children and living in Southern California. And then, after the Kennedy assassination, she took it upon herself to buy the 26-volume Warren Commission hearings and started studying for herself the evidence that Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone assassin. In May of 71, after seven years of research, she appeared as a guest on KLRB, an independently owned local FM radio station. And the response to her appearance was so good, she became a regular weekly guest and afterwards had her own talk show, Dialogue, Conspiracy, later ch changed to World Watchers International. In 1983, May's show moved to KAZU-FM in Pacific Grove, and there it stayed until her final broadcast on June 13, 1988. On October 3rd of that year, at the age of 66, May Brussel died of cancer, although some to this day insist she was murdered. Here... To hang with us for the next 45, 50 minutes or so and to tell us more about the life and times and the legacy of the late May Brussel is Alex Constantine. He is the author of seven books on political corruption, organized crime, the intelligence community, and corporate excesses, including the aforementioned The Covert, Covert War Against Rock, ranked by the London Observer among the 50 best books on music ever. Uh, I would wholeheartedly concur with that assessment. He is the author of Blood Carnage and the Agent Provocateur, Psychic Dictatorship in the USA, Virtual Government, and the editor, as I say, of Fascism in America, The Essential May Brussel. Alex, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. 
it's good to have you here. It's been a long while. I don't know if you remember, but uh, uh, I guess we'd have to go back to about 2000 when Covert, uh, when your book Covert War Against Rock came out, and that's the last time we we talked. Uh, first of all, now Feral House is re-releasing this. Is there anything new about uh, this edition that we didn't find in the 2009? Uh, well, I had actually I had the book offered first at my website, the Constantine Report. Okay, which is probably the most ambitious project I've ever undertaken. It's a, it's an encyclopedia of fascism uh, with over nine thousand entries to it. You can follow your nose to any any subject. All the, there's a massive index at the bottom of the homepage, and you can research to your heart's content. And I would. I would expect that it would take a year or two to, to go through the entire thing. Uh, so uh, the books are good, but I think you'll find more information at the website. But uh, for the take on May Brussels, uh, this book is actually, I'm surprised by it. It came out very well, and uh, I'm real happy with it. So you were a Brussels sprout, were you? Yeah, I was. Uh, actually, I began investigating the ritual abuse. Uh, scandals of the mid-1980s, and the press has done a pretty good job of smearing the victims and lying about what happened in those preschools back in the 80s. But I worked on it for about six months before the propaganda assault began, and uh, I interviewed victims, I talked to a lot of the children, some of whom were hospitalized, I talked to the parents, I collected all the information that I could. I was pretty obsessed with it, with the whole subject at the time. And then the media came along going the other way, claiming that the kids have been coerced, that uh, you heard all sorts of excuses for what happened. And that's where I began, and I had never heard of Mae Brussels at that time. And then one day I turned on the radio and, and caught her talking about the same subject from the same point of view as myself. So I contacted some of the parents in, the, in a case up in San Francisco at the Presidio, and uh, they contacted her. Uh, she had them down. She videotaped her interview with them. And uh, although we were working independently, we were doing exactly the same sort of work. So I began to send her information and uh, people to talk to, and she went on the air and, and took up some of the subjects that I had gotten her involved in. What I didn't know at the time was that she had the FBI living on one side of her house and the, the, na- the neighbors across the street were CIA. Uh, she had a long history of, of harassment that she re- rarely even talked about, really, including the murder of her daughter. And I think that's why she was so obsessed with the whole subject herself, because when something like that happens, I know from experience that, that it only drives you harder. And I've been going for 25 years since, and I still consider myself a Brussels sprout. I still pick up her information and find it shocking and surprising and very informative. Uh, in fact, I consider her like the foremost uh, researcher, reporter who ever lived. And I think anybody who really delves into her material objectively and shuts out the propaganda that comes to the media will come to the same conclusion. As I mentioned, Alex, she, she starts out, you know, humble beginnings, housewife, raising children, doing, you know, that's, uh, I don't mean that as a slight, I mean, that's, that's important work. But she didn't have any formal training, did she, as an investigator, as a reporter? No, I, I, I really think that she was just sort of your average middle-class housewife at the time. And uh, she became, she had, she had, 
some of the best instincts, you know, in the business. And I think she began to see through the whole cover story, the Kennedy assassination. She knew that Lee Harvey Oswald was a patsy. And um, if you pick up the Warren report and do as she did, pour through all the volumes and take 35,000 pages of notes, you, you, you can see exactly what happened there. And the only reason the public is confused is because there's a pro profusion of fake books about the Kennedy assassination. And the average person just throws up his hands and doesn't go any farther with it. But she had, I think, I think the Warren Commission really set her on the right path because she, she saw through it. She, she, like I said, she did 35,000 pages of handwritten notes. She took down names. And these things really pro proliferate because once you've got one name, that leads you to, to research, and then you, you find five more names, and they lead, lead you to five more names, and, and pretty soon you have a pretty good grasp of what's going on. Um, so I, I really think that that initial education set her on the right path, and, and it's pretty well known that, that by the time Watergate came along, uh, the same characters were involved. As a matter of fact, she picked up the very first reports on the Watergate break-in and recognized the names of the Cubans involved in the Watergate break-in, and she recognized uh, the names of some of the Cubans involved in the Kennedy assassination. And uh, I, I think by that time she understood that Nixon was the whole point of the Kennedy assassination, both Kennedys, and, and uh, the shooting of George Wallace and a lot of uh, sub-conspiracies that went on, including the elimination of witnesses, uh, the death of the publisher of the Washington Post, and on and on and on. Um, you know, so by the time Nixon came along, she was probably, she was saturated with the information and understood politics better than anybody in the country. All right, Alex, we'll I, take a time out. We'll come back and continue to delve into the remarkable career, the life, the legacy the untimely death of the late great assassination researcher May Brussel. Alex Constantine, editor of Fascism in America, the essential May Brussel, right here, right now, on The Conspiracy Show. Stay a while. Welcome back. We are discussing the life, legacy, career of the late May Brussel, a radio personality whose work centered around the JFK assassination, and the history of fascism. In fact, she connected the dots uh, between uh, the Nazis and the JFK assassination. Alex Constantine is uh, with us, uh, author, researcher, certainly a Brussels sprout, uh, and the editor of Fascism in America, the essential May Brussels, and uh, Alex's website. Alex, uh, give us the website again where uh, people can read your, uh, uh, your dispatches and, and your research. Sure, that's ConstantineReport.com. Um, like I say, it has over 9,000 entries to it, and it's as comprehensive uh, an encyclopedia on fascism as I could put together. For, for, for May Brussel, um, was there for her sort of an aha moment while she's pouring through the 26 volumes of the Warren Commission where she makes the connection between this vast Nazi network that had been exfiltrated into the United States through Operation Paperclip and afterwards. Uh, was yeah, I, I think, uh, first of all, you have to understand that the, that 35,000 pages of handwritten notes was, was cross-referencing. 
And uh, she didn't know who any of these names, organizations, or corporations that she was that she began with. But she began to run them down, and uh, she found that, for instance, that uh, Clay Shaw, who was in the middle of it all, had connections to Italian fascists through a, a, a company in Italy. Uh, they had ties to that uh, had ties to Dallas, to a company called Permindex, which uh, owned the Italian uh, organization. So she began to run down these names and look into the histories and discovered that they had one thing in, the, in common, and that was ties to World War II fascism. And I, I really think this is where she started with some of those strange names that she came along and the European connections. Did she ever, for example... Um, get to speak with someone like Walter Dornberger, who was brought uh, to the United States. I believe he was sentenced to hang at, at Nuremberg for war, for his war crimes, and then later he's running Bell Helicopter. Well, I think pretty much she, she took it upon herself to try to put the, uh, a, a stop to some of it uh, simply by making people aware. But at the same time, she knew that she couldn't take any really big steps because they would stop her. So she was in a in a pretty difficult position. She would often write letters and contact uh, um, officials in Washington, trying to make them understand what was going on. She even wrote a letter to Richard Nixon at, at one point, trying to help him out of his dilemma after Watergate. Um, and uh, I I think she did everything that she could, short of you know of of going you know to a major television production company or something to make people understand what was going on uh, and I think she lived in fear uh, she was on LA for a time and she had a death threat and got off the air in LA and pretty much confined herself to to Monterey California and KAZUFM which is where I started after she died um, so I, I really think she was she was in a, in a tough position she managed to get Larry Flint to help her out. He started publishing some of her articles. Uh, she didn't necessarily have to go to Hustler, but that's all she was left with because the mass media are controlled. Well, the, the, Larry, Flint was, Larry Flint was going to publish a magazine just for her. What, was, she, was he not well, Rebel Magazine? He gave her a sympathetic ear because he had been shot by a fascist, a neo-Nazi, and left in a wheelchair. And um, he became interested in her work and began to read it and publish it. And then he started up a news magazine, pretty much just for Mae Brussel, that was uh, similar to Time magazine. It was a weekly news operation. And he offered a million dollars for anybody who could prove, uh, you know, uh, who was involved in the Kennedy assassination. At that point, the pressure came down on him um, he, he went through long legal proceedings, and you remember he, he was interred at a place called Chestnut Lodge, which was probably the paramount, the primary mind control facility in the country, operated by the CIA. And Larry Flint came out of that facility with no memory of May Brussel or anything that he had published in that magazine. And to this day, he doesn't know who May Brussel was. Interesting. And uh, she said one day after he, he was... Uh, locked up in Chestnut Lodge that he wouldn't remember anything. And sure enough, that's what happened. They wiped him clean. Amazing. Uh, it is. It take, really us, is. take us back to the heyday of her radio broadcasts uh, on Alex. And, and what would a typical broadcast have sounded like? Was she, was she just sort of a, 
welcoming listeners into her world of pouring through the the Warren Commission documents, or what? What did she talk about? What was it like? Well, she understood that she had to be as credible as possible. So what she did was open source intelligence. She subscribed to 50 different newspapers and magazines, and every week she would break them down into categories. Any essential information she'd file away in her file cabinet. Um, and uh, she bought up her, her house with complete, all the walls are completely covered with bookshelves, even her bathroom. I, I looked in the window one time. And uh, she tried, to, uh, she worked, like I said, compulsively. And uh, I can understand it's an interesting subject. And uh, it, you, you develop a sense of crisis. You have to understand that since the National Security, Security Act of 1947, we've been living in a, a state of perpetual warfare and conspiracy. And I, I hesitate to use that word because I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist. And I don't consider her a theorist. She would give you uh, the information she had compiled, put it all together. She would give you sources, dates, names, times, you know, and so forth, just like any other journalist. But she understood things well beyond, I think, anybody, any writer in the country. And for that reason, most people really didn't understand what she was doing. I think the average American just had no grasp of what was really going on. Yes, we defeated the German military in World War II, but the Nazis were actually a part of the American establishment. I hate to say that, but you had 2,000 corporations all throughout the war uh, who continued to collaborate with the Nazi party. Major corporations like Standard Oil, IBM, uh, IT&T, General Motors, Ford, on down the line, with the major corporate bridge to Nazi Germany being Monsanto. The chemical industry, the drug industry, uh, you know, automobiles, the military-industrial complex was all knitted up tightly with with uh, similar corporations over in Germany. And if you've ever read Catch-22, you're familiar with Milo Minderbinder, who was the personification of the military-industrial complex, operating not only here but in Italy, Japan and in Nazi Germany, uh, and she dug into all this, understood, uh, you know, the, the, the birth of fascism, as Mussolini defined it, corporatism, and then uh, was interested in, in anything related to that topic from the 1920s with the inception of fascism to the present day. And all of that was within her purview. And the show could be on any of those topics, but usually they were topical. And if it was Watergate, she was on top of Watergate and turning out the best information on the topic you could find anywhere. Did she uh, – at what point did she come to the attention of the New Orleans District Attorney, Jim Garrison, of course, who holds the distinction of uh, the only you know person to, to prosecute someone in the JFK assassination, uh, Clay Shaw? Well, 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 when she was reaching out, Jim Garrison is one of the people that she contacted. She would, I, I, almost as desperation, she would try to get influential, powerful people to help her and to convey this message, and Jim Garrison was one of those people. Now, if you really dig into the Kennedy assassination and throw out all the cover stories and the junk coming out from the John Birch Society, and you and start following the, 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 the tracks of Lee Harvey Oswald, 
you'll find that the assassination actually, the plans for assassination actually began before he's elected president. Um, when he, in the year leading up to the election, uh, there were a number of Nazi groups, including one called the Christian Defense League out in California. They had their sights on Kennedy and were just waiting for the right moment to, to strike him down. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jim Garrison, uh, using May Brussels' information, tried to uh, try one of, the, one of the central participants in the California neo-Nazi faction and uh, was, was unable to do, though, do that because the state of California refused to turn him over. So you had the whole establishment fighting her and her fighting back, I think, effectively, uh, any way that she possibly could. And Jim Garrison was just one approach. At what point, uh, you know, we're racing ahead here, but time is tight. And, um, sure. you know, you, you mentioned that she uh, connected the dots not only with the JFK assassination, but, but some of the, the key personnel involved in that also show up during Watergate. And I know that right. two of her uh, devotees uh, were residents of 172nd Ave, uh, or 172nd and Central Park, and that was uh, the Dakota building, John and, and, and Yoko. Uh, right. And and I'm wondering, you know, there are there are dots to be connected there too. Of course, the doorman that night at the at the Dakota was Jose Perdomo, who was uh, another uh, uh, Bay of Pigs uh, alumnus. Uh, right, did, he, he came out of Operation Forty, which was pretty much a death squad put together by the CIA and commandeered by by Richard Nixon. First of all, let's back up. How did how did uh, John and Yoko uh, uh, come to? Uh, learn about May Brussel? Well, uh, you go back to Watergate and uh, a publication called The Realists, which was uh, put up by Paul Krasner uh, back in the 1970s. Uh, and um, he had a, a lengthy bit of research for May Brussel that, that he wanted to publish, but he didn't have enough money to do it. So he contacted John Lennon, who gladly turned over $5,000 once he, he read through it, and they published the article, and and actually that's where I, I, I began. I picked up that copy of the Realist one day in Ohio, at a newsstand, and that uh, that pretty much got me going. Um, now towards the end of his life, he actually had May Brussels stay with him for a week, right? And I think that's one reason that they that they killed John Lennon because of the information that he had acquired, and could pass on to millions of people. Well, uh was, she was still on the air at, at the time of his death in December of 1980. What, what do you recall? Uh, what she she was talking about in the aftermath of, of his his shooting? Oh, sure. She she traced the, the path of Mark David Chapman, uh, his association with World Vision, which is, if you dig into it, pretty much an intelligence front. Uh, they turn up again. Well, I, I won't go into it. There's another story, but uh, World Vision has quite a reputation as a, as a CIA religious front. Um, and, uh, you know, his path to Hawaii, his his uh, finances, his marriage, his, uh, his, uh, he, sent a le- he actually sent a letter a year before he turned up at the Dakota that was uh, eventually turned up uh, at, the, at the Dakota about three years later in which he spoke of a mission, uh, and then that letter disappeared within the uh, within Yoko Ono's household and turned up rewritten 
on her kitchen table a week later. So there were actually infiltrators within John Lennon's household, and I go into that in detail in a book called The Covert War Against Rock. And she had, primarily she concentrated on Mark David Chapman. And if you, if you take a look at the trial, you find there are four psychiatrists who, handled, who, uh, who interviewed uh, Mark David Chapman, and uh, they, they all came away with the judgment that he was pretty much crazy. But if you look into the, the bona fides of those four psychiatrists, you find that they're all, they were all on the CIA payroll. So it's facts like this that she, she put together and, and came to the conclusion that he had been murdered by the CIA, which is pretty hard to avoid once you have, you have all the essential facts. Alex Constantine is uh, my guest here on The Conspiracy Show, editor of Fascism in America, The Essential May Brussels. And uh, we're heading into a break very shortly. On the other side, we'll be joined uh, by a caller who is another self-described Brussels sprout, no stranger to this program, and he'll have a question or two for my next or for my guest, uh, Alex Constantine, as uh, we delve into the life and legacy of May Brussels. Uh, and you know, we, we were talking about fascism in America and, and the exfiltration of, of Nazis like Dornberger and, and so forth. And, and I think this is key to, to understanding that. Uh, when the Germans were vanquished on the battlefield in World War II, the German army surrendered, uh, but the Nazis never did. So perhaps that is May Brussels' legacy. She was making it clear to the world that the Nazis won the war. Back with more of my conversation with Alex and other Brussels sprouts when The Conspiracy Show continues. My name is Richard Serrett. And the website is richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Uh, we're speaking with Alex Constantine, editor of Fascism in America, The Essential May Brussels, and we're celebrating her, her legacy uh, this evening on the program. And we were mentioning John Lennon earlier. Here's from an old interview she did uh, uh, just uh, after Lennon's assassination. Uh, she, she said that one week prior to the assassination of John Lennon in a broadcast, she stated that, quote, the old assassination teams are coming back into power. The very people responsible for covering up the murders of President John F. Kennedy, Senator, Senator Robert Kennedy, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. for Watergate and Koreagate and, and the kidnapping and murder of Howard Hughes and for hundreds of other deaths had only six weeks before they would again be removing or silencing those voices of opposition to their policies. Lenin was coming out once more. His album was cut. He was preparing to be part of the world, a world which is a worse place uh, since the time he had withdrawn with his family. It was a sure bet Lenin would react and become a social activist again. That was the threat. Lenin realized that there was danger coming in, into back into public view. He took that dangerous chance, and we all lost. Uh, Alex Constantine. Um, what do you think May Brussel would be writing about uh, today or, or broadcasting about today? Uh, would it be, um, uh, at, you know, Edward Snowden and the NSA? Would it be about uh, ISIS? Uh, what would she be focusing on? Well, I think she would be just continuing the work that she's been doing all this time. Uh, you mentioned Edward Snowden. Uh, actually, the, the CIA operation uh, that was transferred to the NSA uh, to do mass surveillance on leftists in the United States began in 1962, 
and involved into a program that uh, was investigated by the Church Committee in 1974, where they learned that the CIA kept a massive computer database in an in IBM computer uh, system under CIA control at the time that was called Hydra, uh, which is a pretty sinister name. Uh, but uh, Richard Helms and, and other officials at the CIA at that, back in 1972, decided that uh, they, would, they would change the focus of mass surveillance from activism, anti-war activism, to terrorism, because that would give them uh, some popular support. So that became the cover story, and it's still the cover story to the present day. If you recall, uh, when the NSA revelations came along, uh, the NSA defended itself by saying that they were keeping track of terrorists until it emerged that they were actually keeping track of everybody in the United States. Uh, and so that cover story fell away, and the right could no longer use it. And what is it that they, they want this information for? It's to control the population. So I think she would be right on top of that one, and she'd be covering it every week. Uh, and she'd be very much behind Edward Snowden and offering him support. Uh, I think any um, political murder that comes along, she would investigate uh, thoroughly. And uh, she determined that these were political assassinations. She, like I said, she'd be right on top of it and reporting it. All right. Let's uh, say hello to Nelson. Nelson Thal, our media scientist and no stranger to The Conspiracy Show. Hey, Nelson. How you doing, Richard? Uh, just a terrific show, and it certainly uh, Mae Brussel is a woman who uh, deserves to be honored uh, as much as possible for the work she did that helped all of us. Certainly. Did you have a, a question or a comment for Alex Constantine? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I first got in touch with Mae in 1972 and, and followed her career. I think one of the great things she did was the lasting legacy is her article, uh, Nazi Connection to the JFK Assassination, which uh, which um, Larry Flint, of course, created the Rebel magazine around. But um, I always felt that her um, what what gave her a lot of uh, information, what helped was her her um, her father. Um, who was the most prominent uh, Jewish leader in the United States and was sometimes called the rabbi to the stars. And I always got the feeling, even though she didn't say it to me directly, but that between the lines that he was very much an important part of um, supplying uh, the big picture, and then she went ahead and started to fill in the dots. would Would you say that? Did you get that feeling from her? Yeah, this was uh, Rabbi Edward uh, Magnin. Uh, well, I, I don't know if he was a rabbi, but he was very much. Oh no, he was the he was the chief rabbi of of uh, Wilshire Boulevard Temple, the oldest Jewish congregation in the L.A. in L.A. Yeah, very much a rabbi. Yeah, and very much a part of the establishment. Yeah, and I think that uh, any contribution he made was was not deliberate. He, like I said, he was very much a part of the establishment and resisted the, the work that she was doing, but, but yeah, I think she, she picked up uh, a lot of information from him. And, uh, Richard, uh, Richard, you asked about what would May be saying today. Yes. And I think that if you want to see what May would be saying today, the, 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 the man who's sort of taken on her mantle uh, very much is a guy by the name of Dave Emery. 
and um, uh, at spitfirelist.com. And he would be the guy, I believe, to, if you look at his work, it's just he was very close to her, and he's really been the one who's continued the, the same sort of research and investigation that she had done. Well, I think that it's, uh, I, I wouldn't agree with that, actually. I have to disagree. I think that his work was fine and up until the point of May's death because he he pretty much handed information, May's research, and, and read it on the air. And I think that at that point, uh, when May died, uh, he wasn't, wasn't really uh, able to keep it up. As a matter of fact, I think he lo- allows a lot of personal issues to get in the way. So I would, um, on some things he's okay. I think on other things he's way off. All right, Nelson, appreciate the call. A Brussels sprout, to be sure. New May, uh, Brussels. And uh, Alex Constantine, stay with us. More of our conversation on the other side. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Stay here. Welcome back. Alex Constantine stays with us for a few moments yet. Just a heads up next week on the program up here in Canada. Of course, it'll be Thanksgiving, but we will be back with a brand new show. Dr. John Apsley will talk about the ongoing Ebola outbreak in Africa. Uh, and uh, let's see, what else we have uh, going on? Oh, the Merlin Project. Uh, the, the folks behind the Merlin Project will be back on the show as well. Uh, Alex, uh, I mentioned before the break the, uh, you know, the legacy and the idea that maybe her legacy was waking Americans up and the world up to the fact that the Nazis didn't lose the war. They never surrendered. The German army did, but the, the, uh, the Vice Fuhrer or whatever Hitler's um, you know, next in line, uh, whoever that was, never signed uh, the surrender. Uh, is that is that a fair uh, a fair assessment? Well, I think that's a, a bit of an over, oversimplification. Uh, like I said, the military-industrial complex in the United States was bound up through patent agreements and marketing contracts and so forth with uh, companies in Nazi Germany, and they they pretty much. Uh, just operated for their own benefit, their own financial gain. The problem with major corporations is they tend to take care of the bottom line, and they really don't care how they enhance it. Uh, In Germany, for instance, they use slave labor. Uh, In the United States, you'll find all sorts of uh, excesses going on. Uh, Down in Colombia, for instance, we have the U.S. State Department funding death squads down in Colombia. Uh, along with Chiquita Banana and a mining company called Drummond uh, that uh, is involved in all, all sorts of bizarre activities down there. And uh, recently, 6,000 people have been murdered by right-wing death squads in Colombia uh, due to this interaction of government and the corporations. Now, this they tend to cross all international boundaries, and uh, they operate cooperatively, while millions of people are slaughtered in the process uh, so that they can profit. And I think if you really want to explain what happened with World War II, a lot of companies got rich and 50 million people died as a result, and that's what it's all about. It's not that Germany won or the United States won. The corporations won. Uh, That's how how it comes down. Joseph Farrell, uh, who's been on the program many times, wrote a book uh, talking about the, what he called the Nazi Internationale. Do you, do you subscribe to such a notion that there is this vast network called the, Na- the Nazi Internationale? Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly how you have to look at it. It's an international thing. 
Uh, it's not about neo-Nazis and skinheads. It's about, it's about corporatism that creates a right-wing bulwark against, against the left and the advances of communism in Eastern Europe. And that's why fascism was created in the first place, because the, the privileged and the rich in the United States and throughout Europe were in a deep state of fear by the rise of communism in Russia and uh, recruited a lot of basically thugs to protect their interests, and that those are the Nazis. Did we get a, a sort of an inkling of this? Uh, it wasn't an inkling. I mean, for many people, and I'm sure May Brussels stood up and took notice, when... when Former President Ronald Reagan visited Bitburg Cemetery and laid a wreath at a monument to the Waffen-SS. Right. That was a grotesque moment in Reagan's history. And that was done at the behest of whom? Fritz Kramer, some suggest, who was uh, exfiltrated into the U.S. and ended up at the Pentagon. Uh, that, was a, that was a huge mistake, a big public relations disaster. And um, I think it was basically Reagan... Reagan's decision, I, I wouldn't say that he was put up to it. I think that he was a willing participant in this because his 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 history was bound up with, with the Nazis and with fascists, and the same was, was true of Richard Nixon. Getting back to the, uh, the, the, the political assassinations, which are, are part of this and, of course, was, uh, was a central focus of May Brussels' work. And she talked right. about, you know, looking for these necessary connecting links that are in every assassination conspiracy. She talked about things like – and this is true. It, whenever, you know, there, there's a lone gunman, there are always plenty of letters and diaries present nearby. Talk to me about the importance of some of these – connecting links like letters and diaries and and uh, and patsies well okay let's let's take the Kennedy assassination as an example uh, if you study it you find out that uh, there are a lot of false leads laid down and uh, that's because it bears a resemblance to a military operation and that's because a general inside the Pentagon planned the Kennedy assassination so uh, to this day, if you start to investigate, you'll find people implicating themselves, announcing that they want to kill Kennedy, all over the country. And uh, when a journalist comes along, or independent investigator, he's likely to, to get off on one of those wrong paths, and that's what those diaries are about, to, to flesh out uh, uh, the cover story, which in this case was Lee Harvey Oswald, but the um, CIA had five different cover stories in case the Lee Harvey Oswald story didn't take. So they, uh, to this day, you'll find books blaming Castro. You'll find books blaming the USSR. And you'll find all sorts of evidence drawn upon uh, to substantiate those claims. And that's, uh, that's what it's all about, is laying down false evidence and false trails. And in the, in the case of, of Mark David Chapman, uh, again, uh, letters and diaries. Right. Uh, I, I mentioned one letter in which he implicates himself and mentions a mission that he was sent on, and that letter was altered. Uh, the books amount to the same thing. If you pick up a, a book that's likely to be written by an author with ties to the John Burt Society, you'll go flying off in the wrong direction. And uh, letters are basically to lay down a trail of evidence so that they can blame a patsy like Mark David Chapman, Sirhan Sirhan, or Lee Harvey Oswald, or a number of others. The other interesting uh, thing that, that uh, has always intrigued me is that there are, 
there are, there's never a trial. Uh, there's always uh, a guilty plea uh, or the gunman is disposed of, as in the case of, of Oswald, but there's never a trial. These things never go to court. We never see, you know, the rules of evidence at play. Well, as I always say, the cover-up proves the crime. And in rare instances where you do find a trial, all you have to do is investigate the, you know, the testimony, the expert witnesses brought in, the psychiatrists and so forth, and it becomes easier to put together, and I think that's what they're afraid of. Uh, by the way, I have to amend, the title of the book is The Essential May Brussels. Um, originally, the title was Fascism in America, but... Farrell House gave it another title. Ah, apologies. Okay, so the, the, the re-release is now uh, The Essential May Brussels. The original title right. is Fascism in America. And the subtitle is Investigations of Fascism in America. Ah, thank you for that correction. Um, your, your book uh, in 2000, The Covert War Against Rock, uh, to what extent was that inspired by, uh, uh, influenced by the work of May Brussels? Well, actually, she put together a, a five-page uh, article, a uh, compilation of research in which she laid out some of the facts behind the deaths of some prominent left-wing musicians. And I thought that was really interesting. For the, So for the 10 next year, years, I collected uh, information myself and eventually ended up writing the book, and it really didn't even stop there because I spent the, the last year gathering more information and filling out the book. And, and, and what I discovered is that the book really wasn't even complete. Now I have uh, a much better understanding of those assassinations, including uh, John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, Tupac Shakur, uh, 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 and a number of others, up, up to the death of Michael Hutchins. And uh, the story that I, that I put together there is so complete that I don't really think anybody can, can even argue with me on any of these deaths. No, she uh, may also, uh, you know, she talked about, in the case of, of drug overdoses, she talked about right. the possibility that specific poisons were added to drugs enough to be fatal, to make it appear now, this, that they this died. This is a subject that the FBI studied thoroughly for about 12 or 14 years, uh, how to administer overdoses and make it look like an accident. Was that the Houston plan? Uh, no, the Houston plan was something else. That was a martial law plan. In the event that uh, they were to round up uh, anti-war activists in the Vietnam War period, a guy from uh, uh, Young Americans for Freedom that was uh, founded in 1960, two months before Kennedy was elected, and was instrumental in the Kennedy assassination, Tom Charles Houston and others in the Nixon administration put the secret plan together for interring activists in the United States, pretty much in concentration camps as they did the Japanese. In World War II, uh, we just got a few minutes left, uh, Alex. The the death uh, of May Brussel in 1988, I believe it was a fast acting a fast acting cancer. I think it was. Do you think she was murdered? Well, a doctor said it was the fastest acting cancer he had ever seen, and I think the odds that she was murdered are pretty much fifty fifty. As I mentioned, she had the seat uh, uh, two operatives from the CIA living across the street from her. And uh, she had a visit from one of the Son of Sam killers shortly before her death. And, uh, and a number of other things went on that lead me to suspect that, yes, there's a strong possibility of murder. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, cancer happens. She was elderly. 
it's possible that she contracted a fast-acting cancer, but I suspect that she was murdered. And I think it has something to do with those ritual abuse cases that I discussed in the beginning. And her daughter, her daughter was murdered. I mean, that's, that's not disputed, correct? Yeah, I think that's why she was so driven to this work, because it, she, she was so stricken by the death of her daughter. And I, I, as I said, I was harassed for eight years, and it didn't deter me in any way. In fact, to the present, to, you know, currently I'm as obsessed as ever. And I've been doing this for 25 years, and that had a lot to do with it. It just it, it makes you angry to the point where you just don't care anymore, I guess. Is that it, about personal safety, or how, how does that work? That's, I had uh, people close to me were attacked, physically assaulted. One had a 50-50 chance of living, and she was told before she went unconscious that she, that she should tell me to keep my mouth shut. And so I've been doing the opposite ever since. You're not concerned about your personal safety anymore? Not at all. Did did May uh, in any way uh, sort of predict her demise? Uh, did, I mean, did she talk about it on the air, that something is going to happen to me? Well, she always thought it was possible, and she took death threats seriously. I, I don't. You know, I, that, nothing, I, I don't take that seriously at all. I mean, it's it's our obligation to stand up to this sort of thing, and I think that she she felt the same way. And I don't think that she she would give up unless you know there was uh, extremely strong pressure applied. And she never did give up. She fought till the till the day that she died. And uh, so will you, I suspect. Oh yeah, I'll uh, go beyond that. <laughs> Alex, give us your website again. Uh, that's the ConstantineReport.com, and uh, any aspect of anything I've discussed that interests you, you can follow up on through that website. Just refer to the index at the bottom of the homepage, and you'll be on your way. And what are you working on now, next? Uh, right now, I'm working on two books that will be coming out next year. And, uh, one is a revised and expanded edition of The Covert War Against Rock, and another one is called Jackals. And that's about CIA operations primarily around the world, but also uh, various assassinations, use of propaganda, um, the anthrax attacks after uh, 9-11, uh, to explain it. And there are uh, all sorts of things in the book that people would find interesting. Well, Alex, uh, let's not leave it 14 years uh, this time. Let's have you back on soon. I can't wait to see the revised uh, version of Covert, uh, The Covert War Against Rock. It truly is one of the... The, the, the most important books about uh, the music industry, but it's obviously about so much more than that. And uh, I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Alex Constantine. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, the website richardserrett.com. And don't forget, follow the truth.tv. Scroll down, find the question for tonight's radio contest. Call Tim Spreen in studio right now with the answer to that question. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and you'll win a pair of ducats. And see me live with France, Oshawa, November 16th. Follow the truth. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Come on in, set yourself down, and warm yourself by the electronic bonfire. This radio program is all about challenging conventional wisdom, cutting against the grain. And admittedly, 
this show is not for everyone because we don't run with the herd. It's not an easy path, I don't need to tell you that. The search for truth can be painful, inconvenient. It can get in the way of a normal life. Let me give you a, an idea. When I shop at Ikea, I like to walk against the arrows. It drives the people shopping there and the people who work there nuts. You're supposed to walk in the same direction as the arrows. I don't even go there to shop. I just walk against the arrows to see what kind of reaction I'll get. Anyway, I, um, I'll give you a perfect example about uh, cutting across the grain or challenging conventional wisdom. I think tonight's offering is a perfect example. I don't think there's a single person listening to this program who hasn't been touched by heart disease. How many of us just take it for granted that the culprit behind heart disease is cholesterol? We recite it like a mantra, right? Case closed. Cholesterol leads to blocked arteries, heart attacks, strokes. How many millions of at-risk patients, tens of millions, are taking some kind of medication to lower cholesterol based on that reasoning or rationale, like Lipitor or statin? It's a multi-billion dollar industry. But are they effective? Do we even stop and ask that question? Are we fighting the war against heart disease on the wrong front? My next guest has taken a pretty controversial approach to heart disease. And uh, let me just say this. We don't have a, a pre-produced medical disclaimer on this show that we play coming in or coming out or going into commercial breaks. So I'm going to offer a disclaimer right now, just in the interest of being responsible and fair. What you're about to hear is my guest's considered professional and scientific opinion. You listen, take it all in, make notes, ask your doctor, do your own research. But it starts here. It starts now, tonight. Because my guest is about to lay out an argument that mainstream scientists have turned white into black by ignoring all conflicting nations, by twisting and exaggerating trivial findings, by citing studies with opposing results in a way to make them look supportive, and by ignoring or scorning the work of critical scientists. He argues, and will argue, cholesterol is not the culprit. Animal fat is not the culprit behind heart disease. Dr. Ufa Ravenskov is the author of The Cholesterol Myths. He graduated from the University of Copenhagen with an MD. He went on to become an assistant professor and independent researcher as well as director of THINKS, the international network of cholesterol skeptics. His published books include Ignore the Awkward, How the Cholesterol Myths Are Kept Alive, and Fat and Cholesterol Are Good for You. He's also a member of the editorial board of Journal of Lipids and a member of International Science Oversight Board. He joins us live on the line from his home in Lund, Sweden, where it is very early in the morning, and we appreciate Dr. Ufa Ravenskov joining us. How are you, Dr. Ravenskov? <clears throat> I'm okay. 
Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Uh, you you being up so early. Uh, let's let's start with some some definitions here. What exactly is cholesterol? Well, cholesterol is one of our most important molecules. Uh, it, it's named as a fat. It is it is not a fat. It is a complicated molecule which we use to build all our cells and nerves. All cell walls are constructed by cholesterol. You couldn't live without cholesterol. And we use it for producing many of our most important hormones. Uh, but we're told, Dr. Ravenskoff, that there are there is good cholesterol, something called HDL, and then there's bad cholesterol, which is LDL, and it's that the, the LDL which clogs up our plumbing and leads to heart attacks and strokes. True, not true? It's not true. It's nonsense. There's only one type of cholesterol. It is transported in the blood because cholesterol is not, you cannot dissolve cholesterol in water or blood. So therefore you have small taxes called LDL and HDL, the lipoproteins. They carry cholesterol around in the body. Uh, and the, the, the good and bad cholesterol, uh, it it's, uh, describes the, the, the taxes, not the, the very cholesterol. Uh, for those uh, listening and saying, okay, this sounds interesting and he's a doctor, but give us a sense of your credentials. What kind of a doctor are you? I'm a, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a specialist in internal medicine and nephrology. Those, that's the but kidney. It, Those are the kidneys, right? Yes. Yes. And internal medicine is all kinds of, of, of medicine. Uh, well, that is built on, on biochemistry and clinical examination. Uh, but uh, you need not be a doctor to understand that this is the, the, the world's greatest medical scandal ever, the cholesterol campaign. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to, to tell you why in this program. I'm very happy to be able to do that. Well, you know, I, I'm guessing there are people sitting at home listening, and they might be on some of these cholesterol-lowering uh, medications, things like Lipidor and Statin. Uh, and yeah. I and I know I have family members that are taking that that were taking Statin, uh, and and uh, I doctors are really keen on getting as many people on these drugs as possible. They seem convinced. Uh, that you know, this is the uh, this is the best weapon in their arsenal against heart disease. How have they? How is it that we have all been uh, led astray? If your theory is correct, uh, for so long. I mean, how did this happen? Well, you see, the idea that high cholesterol is uh, a bad guy is, of course, of enormous economic interest for the for the medical industry the industry that makes medical drugs. Because uh, if you think that high cholesterol is dangerous and you have to lower it, then most of mankind need to take a cholesterol-lowering drug. You include all healthy people in the world. Because before the cholesterol campaign, a normal cholesterol was between about 4 and 7. But now... If if it's over five, you are you have high cholesterol and you 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 are a high risk of uh, getting a heart disease. They say, but this is nonsense. The, the, this idea is built on a study in Framingham, made in uh, the early sixties. 
they found, the, the researchers in, Fram, in Framingham, they found that uh, those with high, uh, those who died of, of um, heart attack, they have had, their cholesterol was a little higher uh, six, six or seven years earlier. Oh, they say, we, atherosclerosis is built by cholesterol, and cholesterol was higher in, in the patients with heart disease. Ergo, high cholesterol is the bad guy. But there was very little difference between the cholesterol, those with heart attack and those without. And you can't use this argument. You can also say that yellow fingers is a risk factor for, for uh, lung cancer. It's a fact. But it, it doesn't help to take away the yellow color. It's much a better idea to stop smoking. So, and why you, you should instead you should ask why was cholesterol a little higher? And this is a complicated answer to that. So I I'll wait for that. But uh, you cannot use such a thing to say that that just because it is a little higher, then it's the cause. And there are many many studies that have shown that it can impossibly be so. I can mention that the Framingham researchers themselves, they uh, analyzed, they studied or, or examined their patients uh, 30 years later. And what they found was that those whose cholesterol had went down during these 30 years, they had died more often from heart disease than those whose cholesterol went up. Say that again, because that, that's, that's fascinating. Those, Say it again. In, during these 30 years, those people whose cholesterol went down during the time, more had died from heart disease than among those whose cholesterol had went upwards. Now, is this... I mean, how much currency is this gaining in the medical community? Or are you one of the few sort of lone wolves crying in the wilderness about this? Or is this becoming more and more accepted? And it, it goes very, very slowly. But there is an increasing understanding that this is, uh, this is fraud. Uh, I can say that I have organized a group of more than 100 researchers, and a third of them are professors all around the world. And we are... All of us agree that this is fraud. The cholesterol campaign is built on fraud. And what about and, animal fats? Uh, do they play any role in, in heart disease or clogging up the, the arteries? It's the same nonsense. We are built, our body consists mainly of animal fat. And we produce it every day in great amounts. When you eat uh, bread, for instance, the, the carbohydrates is immediately uh, uh, transferred to animal fat. We store our energy as animal fat in our fat cells. And there's absolutely no evidence that animal fat is dangerous for human health. Uh, already in 1998, I published uh, a review of all what has been written about animal fat. And what I found was that more than 30 studies uh, have found that those who uh, eat much animal fat, they are not at higher risk than those who eat very little. There's no difference. And they, at that time, there were nine scientific experiments where the, the, the scientists had lowered the 
foods content of saturated fat for the uh, in, in, in the uh, patients, and none of them showed any effects. Now, is this political? Uh, trying to get this message out. I'm always fascinated by the peer-reviewed process in journals. The music is, is coming up here, which means we're going to a break, Dr. Ravenskoff, and when we come back, we'll get into this. But I'd like, to, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the politics of the peer review process and whether uh, in certain cases, and perhaps this one, when we're talking about the cholesterol myths, as you describe them, uh, whether the politics of the peer review process may be one of the problems Back with more of my conversation with Dr. Ufa Ravenskoff, the author of The Cholesterol Myths and Ignore the Awkward, How the Cholesterol Myths Are Kept Alive, as well as Fat and Cholesterol Are, wait for it, Good for You. Right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Welcome back. Dr. Uwe Ravenskoff stays with us on the line from his home in Lund, Sweden, uh, this morning, tonight. And uh, he, the author of The Cholesterol Myths. I wanted to ask you about the peer-reviewed journals. Let's say, for example, uh, Dr. Ravenskoff, and maybe you have uh, published uh, something, you submitted it, uh, uh, an article a study about this very issue, the fact that cholesterol, as you say, is not the culprit, and you submitted it to uh, Cardiovascular Diseases and Diagnosis, a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, how difficult would it be for you to get it published? I mean, is there politicking involved? Does the fact that these journals often are filled with ads for Lipidor and Statin and other uh, pharmaceuticals, does that play a role? Certainly. I can tell you that before I started uh, studying the, the cholesterol issue, I, I was a nephrologist and I published uh, about 25 papers about uh, 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 renal function. I have never made any problems publishing these papers, but as soon as I started publishing uh, or submitting manuscripts with, with a critical view on the cholesterol issue, it's it, they, most of these uh, attempts were, uh, were refused. So I, I, I think that I had I've had about to, I've had to send my manuscript to four or five or six different medical journals before it has been accepted, and many of them have never been accepted for publication. Although I have succeeded in publishing more than 100 uh, papers and letters in the scientific journals, in the international journals, but it, it takes much work to, to succeed with such things. Because, I mean, do they question your methodology? Do they try and discredit your work? <laughs> yes. They, they are considering my like a, a, a crank. And what they do, most of the medical journals, they are dependent on... Uh, the pharmaceutical companies, not only because they they pay for the advertisements, they also buy, uh, uh, when they publish a paper, they ask for a, a million or two uh, uh, numbers of that paper, of that uh, article on paper to, to send to all the doctors in the world. And they have enormous income from the drug companies, the medical journals. So they are very hesitant to, to publish critical views on cholesterol and saturated fat. 
Uh, to me, this is the elephant in the room that nobody – I mean it's so obvious and yet nobody is out there screaming bloody murder about it and that is the conflict of interest between pharmaceutical companies and physicians. Listen, I have yeah. wonderful physicians. You're a doctor. You do wonderful work. You know, We need you. But when doctors in this country, in this province, in this city where I am now seated are, are wined and dined and flown to conferences – uh, by pharmaceutical companies, and then they in turn uh, prescribe those same pharmaceuticals uh, to their patients. To me, that is an egregious conflict of interest. It should not be allowed without full disclosure. Uh, and, and to me, it just, it's immoral, and yet nobody, nobody talks about it. No. Oh, there, is, there are exceptions. I would mention uh, Professor uh, Peter Goetje, is a Danish professor in the, the, the largest uh, university in Copenhagen and uh, the largest Danish uh, university in Copenhagen. He has published a book last year, what, a book he called Deadly Medicines and Organized Crime, How Big Pharma Has Come Corrupted Healthcare. Now, if, if this wasn't true, he, the, the drug companies should have drawn him to a court immediately because it's a very serious accusation. But no one has done that, because he has documented all the fraudulent behaviors uh, in his book. There are more than 900 references to the scientific literature and to court protocols. Let's the get back. Is- oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go you ahead. Uh, I, I want to get back to, uh, to cholesterol. Is there a dietary component to cholesterol? In other words, I mean, I know, we know that it's produced by the body, but can you, can you increase cholesterol levels? I know it's not the culprit, as you say, uh, or that's what you're arguing, but can you increase cholesterol levels or decrease them through diet? No. Cholesterol uh, changes uh, many factors uh, influence the level of cholesterol in our blood. The most influential factor is stress. If you become stressed, the cholesterol may raise in, 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 the, in a half an hour by up to 40 percent. Uh, you can, when are you a smoker, the cholesterol will be a little higher also. And if you get infection, if you get an infection, the cholesterol will go up also. So cholesterol react on many, uh, in many ways. Uh, but the diet has no influence. You can eat as much cholesterol you want because if you eat much cholesterol, uh, the liver and the other cells, they stop their own production. And if you eat too little, they increase their production because every cell in our body is able to produce cholesterol. Cholesterol is, uh, is very, is, you, you can't live without cholesterol. So every cell in the body is able to produce its own cholesterol. All right, so here's the million-dollar question then, Dr. Ravenskoff. If cholesterol is not the culprit, if animal fat, if these things are not to blame for heart attacks, what is the culprit? Well, that's a good question. And it's not that easy to answer. But we, uh, and we, with we, I mean myself and Kilmer McCulley, we have published uh, two papers where we uh, explain how uh, atherosclerosis may uh, be created. I'll mention Kilmer McCulley, he's a guy, American researcher who, he was the guy who discovered the association between 
uh, homocysteine and atherosclerosis. And when he published that, that his first paper on that issue, where he showed that the level of homocysteine was much closer correlated with degree of atherosclerosis than cholesterol, he lost his position and all his research money. We have published two papers about this issue. We think that the critical uh, point is uh, the small uh, vessel that uh, serve the arterial wall with with blood. Arterial walls have uh, are are supplied with blood as well as all other organs in our body, and these small vessels may be obstructed by uh, uh, bacteria collected. Uh, uh, what are you saying? Well, I miss. Perhaps I should start to tell you what very few know, that the lipoproteins, LDL and HDL and VLDL, they are participating in the immune system. They are, uh, they bind and inactivate all kinds of bacteria and viruses immediately in our body. This has been studied by more than a dozen research, researchers, research groups around the world, but very few re, uh, doctors and researchers know about it. Uh, and uh, but but these uh, LDL and HDL they bind the bacteria and virus and they made uh, uh, these clumps of bacteria they may have uh, difficulties passing the small vessels that supply the arterial wall with with oxygen and, and food and uh, when these small vessels are obstructed, the vessel wall may die, a little a part of the vessel wall may die. And here, the, the bacteria can come out and, and uh, uh, injure the vessel wall. Well, it's a long and complicated story, so uh, I, I, it may be difficult to understand for, for the listeners. Well, it, does, it sounds like you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying that ba that, that bacteria or a virus may yes. be... What about inflammation? We always hear about inflammation. Uh, all, yes. Well, it's said that now we know that atherosclerosis is caused by inflammation. That is not true either, because inflammation is our body's reaction to infections. This is a, a, a good idea to start inflammation because we, we combat bacteria and viruses by inflammation. So, but it's, a, it's correct that, in, that uh, uh, during the development of arteries, the arteries are inflamed, but it is not the inflamed inflammation that produces atherosclerosis, it's the microorganisms that induce inflammation Okay. What is causing the plaque then to build up in the arterial walls that causes the blockages that, that can lead to well, heart attacks? We, we think that the plaques are simply scars after an infection. And, and the plaques in the arterial wall, they look just like a, a, a scar in the skin. If you have an a, a infection in the skin, it will heal, leaving a little scar. And inside this scar, you will also find cholesterol. Cholesterol is incorporated to strengthen the, the, the cell walls to, to, and also to strengthen the arterial wall. Because if you have an infection in the arterial wall, the arterial wall may become weak. And to, to, cons, uh, to, to, to protect us, we, we built in cholesterol and, and uh, other things. 
in the arterial wall. This is called atherosclerosis. So again, atherosclerosis is not a, a, a disease. It's a, it's a scars after a disease. The arterial sclerosis, is, this is important, I want to repeat it. You're saying the arterial sclerosis is not the disease, it's the result of the disease. Yes. The scarring of the arterial the walls. of our arteries. And again, the, the actual culprit is, is bacterial or viral. Yeah. Well, other things may obstruct the, these small vessels in the arterial walls. For instance, stress. If you stress these small vessels, all kinds of vessels, they they constrict. So, uh, a stress situation may participate as well, and other factors. But I, we think that uh, infections is the most important cause, and there are many uh, proofs of of that association. For instance, uh, people who get a, a heart attack or a stroke. They have uh, almost half of them have had an infectious disease uh, the, the, the last months before they uh, get the, the disease, the, the stroke or the myocardial infection. And all, all kinds of uh, antibodies in, in, in our blood, they signal, uh, uh, they, are, they show an increased risk of, of stroke and uh, myocardial infection as well. Go ahead. Did you? We, uh, I didn't want yes. to interrupt. Uh, there are more. Uh, yeah, we have a few more. minutes. Please continue. Yes. Uh, there, for instance, a risk factor for heart disease is uh, dental disease, and dental disease, uh, the, the disease in, in uh, the, they they are always caused by bacteria and viruses. We have found, or other researchers have found. The dental bacteria in the arterial walls. All kinds of bacteria have been uh, uh, identified in the uh, in atherosclerotic arteries. So, so an, a, an abscess tooth, for example, could lead ultimately to a heart attack. Yes, not only an abscess, also uh, what is called the the, the, the the tissue around the teeth when it is inflamed. They are filled with bacteria. This, the same type of bacteria, can be found in atherosclerotic arteries. Fascinating. And in an Italian study, uh, the Italian researchers they they treated these uh, tooth infections in uh, thirty-five patients, and uh, after half the year, they could see that the degree of atherosclerosis in their vessels had decreased. This is fascinating. Never, fascinating. A link between dental, dental health and, and heart disease. Dental health and heart disease. Yes. So, the, and the effect was much, much better than ever, than we have ever seen in any trial where we have used uh, statins to, compare, to, prevent, to prevent heart disease or prevent atherosclerosis. The effect using uh, uh, treatment of, of the, the, the teeth was, was much greater. And they also could show it with statistical significance in thirty-five patients. If you, if you shall, if you uh, will show that statin treatment is effective, you have to include several thousands of patients to get a difference. 
the difference is very, very small. I, I, I can explain it to you. If you, if you are about 65 years and you have, had, you have already had a heart attack, your chance of living in the next five years is about uh, 75 or 80 percent. But if you take a statin, you, will, you can increase your chance to survive from 80 to 82 percent. It's a very, very small effect. All right, listen, uh, Dr. Ravenskoff, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll uh, uh, explore that idea a little bit further. Pretty fascinating, remarkable revelatory information coming to us uh, tonight, this morning, from Lund, Sweden. Cholesterol and fat are not the culprits behind heart disease. And there is, perhaps, a significant link between dental health and heart disease. So says my guest, Dr. Ufa Ravenskoff. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, right here. Stay with us. And we are back with Dr. Ufa Ravenskoff from Lund, Sweden, talking about the cholesterol myths. Uh, now, what, what do we make of the, of the, uh, the genetic component in, in, with heart disease? If, if one of the culprits is bacteria and, and a virus, uh, what is the genetic component? Well, that's a difficult question. But what, what I can mention is that, uh, 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 well, I'm not calling this is uh, a disorder called familial hypercholesterolemia. It's a disorder where people are born with very high cholesterol. It has been shown that those with the highest cholesterol among these people, they do not die more often from a heart disease than those with, whose cholesterol is raised just a little. There's no difference. But their risk factor is that some of, a few of these people are born with coagulation uh, problems. The blood will coagulate more easily than uh, in, in other people. And these, these few people, they die uh, young, at a young age by heart disease. But most of them, they survive and they're, they're mean, they, their life is just as long as other people's. This is another uh, fact. Well, I would like to tell you about the, the many studies that, that have shown that high cholesterol is not, uh, a, 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 is not the cause. For instance, there's no study having shown that high cholesterol is a risk factor in women. High cholesterol, old people, old people with high cholesterol, they live longer than old people with low cholesterol. There are more than 20 studies that have shown that. And last year, uh, two American studies were published. The first one was a study of more than 140,000 patients who had been uh, submitted to hospital with an acute heart attack. All patients, or most patients in the United States during a long period, they, the doctors measured their cholesterol when they were submitted to the hospital on the same day. And guess what? Their mean cholesterol was lower than healthy people's cholesterol. What did they conclude? Oh, we have to lower cholesterol even more. <laughs> and this was was the the next study the, the researchers in the next study did they they come up with the same uh, the same result their patients with acute uh, heart disease their cholesterol was lower than normally so they 
increased the, 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 the statin doses in these patients and followed them for three years. And what happened? Those whose cholesterol went down the most, among those who were three times more who had died from heart attack. Wow. Compared with those whose cholesterol was unchanged or only lowered a little more, three times more died from heart disease. How, 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 do, these stat, how do statins and Lipidor work? What do they do? <laughs> well, just a moment. I'll, I'll just mention their conclusion of the last paper. Okay. What, what, what do you think it say? We have to lower it even more. <laughs> right. That's... Right. They are so married. They are, it's like a religion. They are so married to the idea that cholesterol is the culprit, that, that no, no level of cholesterol is safe as far as they're concerned. No, no. Well, the statins are poisonous. They stop the production or, or inhibit the production of cholesterol, but also the production of all, of all important molecules, for instance, coenzyme Q10. Q10 is a normal substance in all of our cells, and you, you cannot produce energy without Q10. And uh, the statins, they block the production of Q10, and, and all the, which means that you, you will, it will be much more difficult to, to renew your body, to renew your cells. Renewing of our cells is a steady process from we are born to we die. Some of our cells die, and they are exchanged with new cells, but you need Q10 to produce these new cells, and you also need cholesterol. So, uh, when you use uh, when you take a cholesterol drug, you will inhibit these processes, and the side effects from cholesterol treatment are re uh, they reflect these uh, these, uh, these processes or, or the, the, the for instance, the most the most common side effect is muscular problems. Oh, the the, the research is saying muscular problems is in only in one percent of the patients, but this is not true. Uh, the reason they use this, the the figure one percent is that they only uh, they only register the muscle symptoms if uh, a, a substance in the blood is raised more than ten times of the normal. But uh, other researchers have found that muscular problems occur in statin-treated patients without any uh, raise of this molecule. And independent researchers have found that, especially among women, muscular problems uh, are very common. About 40% of women who use statin treatment, they, get, they become tired or, or get pains in the muscles after half a year. Okay, Dr. Ravenskoff, got to take a time out. We'll come back and continue to talk about the cholesterol myths. Once again, a disclaimer, consult your physician. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Dr. Ufa Ravenskov. And um, uh, as I say, uh, Dr. Ravenskov, many people listening uh, to, the, to this program uh, are on some sort of cholesterol medication. It might be statin, it might be Lipidor. Um, and and they trust their physician. And uh, I mean, what do you what do you say to your doctor uh, who is insistent that you you be on these medications? Uh, you know, they're going to go into their office maybe in the next couple of weeks after listening to this program. What what? How do we? How do they handle that? What do you? What do you suggest? 
old is is very difficult for most doctors consider me as a crank, as I told you. Uh, but I, I would suggest that those who are uh, ordered uh, cholesterol-lowering drugs to go into the web and Google with my name and they will find uh, I have several websites with much information about that. They need not me uh, buy my books. You, you can get uh, much information on the internet. In fact, the, my first book, The Cholesterol Miss, it's freely available now. I have made it freely available on the web, so just go to, to my website. Uh, well, what I would like to, to tell the listeners is about all the side effects because very few doctors know about them and very many patients suffer from them. But uh, the side effects are typical for, uh, for the symptoms that appear with increasing age. And therefore, the doc when you come and say, oh, I, I can't, re my remembrance has been very bad, I can't remember anything. Oh, well, how old are you? Well, I, you, you are 75, you know, this is a symptom of old age, so you have to accept that. But uh, I, I have mus I'm, my muscles are weak, yes. Your muscles become weak when you get old. It's also normal. I can't sleep, I get, uh, yes, there's another problem with old age, and so forth. There are many symptoms uh, that uh, the, will not be accepted as side effects, but in fact they are. So you're saying that uh, the side effects of these cholesterol medications can be uh, memory loss, muscle stiffness, fatigue, uh, and, and that these are generally attributed to the onset of old age, but it's the medication that's at fault. Yes, yes. The problem is that the side effects do not appear immediately. I mean, if you are, uh, do not uh, tolerate penicillin, you'll, you'll know it the day after you have got the first penicillin dose. But it, it may take weeks or months before the side effects from statin treatment occur. And therefore, it's very easy to, to, to misinterpret these symptoms as signs of increasing age. Uh, but uh, stop the, if you stop taking the drug uh, a, a few days or a few weeks, you will, you will experience that these so-called signs of early age, they disappear. Have there been peer-reviewed studies uh, that have delved into these side effects that you just uh, uh, detailed? Uh, yes, uh, well, uh, there are many, many trials, but they are performed by in industry-paid researchers, and you can't, uh, you can't uh, believe in the, in the results from these trials. And there are an increasing skepticism among researchers about the, the side effects, for instance, and they have therefore asked the drug companies to show the, 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 their protocols because they don't believe in what they have printed in the medical journals. We want to see the progress. No, you can't uh, do that, they say. You're not allowed to do, to do that. These are private. These belong to the, to the uh, medical company. But I mean, if you are an honest researcher, there should be no problem by showing the, the, pro the protocols, but you are not allowed to, to, to get into the protocols. You should be, I, I think it's a very, uh, it's very, I, I become very suspicious when here's such thing. How, how big an industry is the cholesterol medication industry? It's enormous. There was a, 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 an article in an American economical uh, magazine in uh, some years ago. They 
told about, I think it was the year 2002, I'm, I'm not sure, but it, it, it was about that time. At that time, they made a list of the 500 most prosperous uh, companies in the world. And among these 500 were 10 drug companies as well. The income, or the, the what do you call it, the, 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 what they gained, the, the profit, the profit from these 10 medical companies, drug companies, the profit uh, together was higher than the combined profit of the 490 other companies in the world. These 10 companies earned more money than the 419 other companies. And among these 490, you have the, 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 the oil industry, the, the weapon industry, the, the car industry, whatever. How, how many, do we know how, what percentage of the world's population is currently on some sort of cholesterol-reducing medication? Uh, I know, I, 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 I have the figures for Sweden. In Sweden, we are about 9 million people and, and almost 1 million of these people are taking statins and most of them are healthy people. Well, what I didn't mention was that the, the effect of, on healthy people, people whose only problem is high cholesterol, is minimal if, if there is any benefit at all. You can calculate the benefit from the, the trials. You can say that the, a, a person with high cholesterol age 50 years, uh, his or her chance to survive the next five years is about 97%. 97% of those with high cholesterol, they will survive the next five years. But if you take a statin, you will increase your survival by up to 97.2%. So no, no that, significant that is, difference. There is no significant benefit as regards mortality. There is a small benefit as regards non-fatal heart disease. Not even statistically significant, is it? What do you say? Is it even statistically significant? Uh, yes, but it's very, very small. And what, what the researchers forget, and also all doctors forget, is that very many who uh, suffer from a heart attack or a stroke, they will survive and with minimal symptoms afterwards. Some will survive without any symptoms at all. Heart disease and stroke is not that serious disease as it was for 50 years ago. And again, we should point out that the, the book is available for free on your website. Let me give okay. the, uh, the URL, www. and then your last name, Ravenskov, and it's spelled R-A-V-N-S-K-O-V dot N-U. Ravenskov.nu, and I've linked to your site at richardserrett.com. All they need to do is click on your name yes. on the homepage. Well, you, have, you, have, you, you can add after ravenskov.nu slash cm with large cm with large figures. Capital letters. Okay, so ravenskov.nu forward slash and then capital letters CM. Yes, well, you have my first book uh, for free. I, I think it's, it's so important, say, uh, so I, I have offered it for free. 
there is a uh, an article uh, on your website, and it's it's news from the World Health Organization: a dietary U-turn. What is the latest news from the World Health Organization regarding cholesterol? Well, I don't know if they have uh, uh, any news. Well, they they have. Um, Oh yes, the, uh, uh, you are referring to the last report I published a few years ago. Well, they wrote that there's no evidence uh, whatsoever that saturated fat is bad. There's no evidence whatsoever. In spite of that, they conclude you should lower your intake of saturated fat. So the report said there's no link between saturated fat and cholesterol or and, and heart disease, but at the no. end of the report, they're saying reduce your consumption of saturated fat. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's almost like a religion, isn't it? Yes, it's worse than that. Uh, you have you have no benefit from it. <laughs> ah, excellent point. Yes, excellent point. So, uh, has uh, is big pharma lining up against you? Have they tried to discredit you? Is it difficult for you to practice? Well, I'm not a practitioner any longer. I'm eighty years old, but uh, I'm only doing research. They can't uh, harm me in any way, other than than uh, ignoring me, and this is also what they have done mostly. But more and more researchers uh, are awakening now. In, in the British Medical Journal, there have been a, a long discussion about the, the dietary uh, uh, advices about saturated fat, and all are agree that saturated fat is not bad. In fact. Many studies have shown that those people who eat very many uh, di- di- dairy, dairy products, they are more healthy than other people. They get cancer less often and, and they get uh, heart disease less often than, than people who uh, have uh, restricted their intake of saturated fat or uh, dairy products. How is this myth, if, uh, as you say, this myth, how has it been allowed to to exist for so long, if the science is that bad, if the correlation simply isn't there, how has it been propped up for so long? Well, as I said, uh, the, the drug industry is the world's uh, most prosperous industry. They have very many money. They can do everything. They can infiltrate the, the Congress and, and they have more uh, People in the Congress than there are members of the Congress, and they they pay the the, the medical journals. The medical journals cannot survive without uh, economical uh, 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 support from the drug companies, and almost all researchers who are studying the cholesterol problem or dietary problem they are paid by the industry, and they they are very generous. All, all uh, congresses, medical congresses about uh, about heart disease uh, and brain disease, they are paid, or, or any other disease, they are paid by the, the drug companies. The drug companies pay for the congress, they pay for, for the uh, speakers, they pay the traveling costs, they give them uh, a large amount to, give a, a, to present their view, and so forth. And in many countries, the doctors get paid the more statin drugs they prescribe, the better they are paid. To me, that just seems entirely unethical. Yes. But it's allowed to continue. Yes. Why? Why isn't someone doing something about this? Even 
the FDA, the American institution that should protect us against bad medicine, they, uh, it is infiltrated by the drug industry. They pay many of the members in, in the FDA. They are paid by the drug industry. Well, there have been a number of whistleblowers here in Canada, former employees of Health Canada, who said yes. that they are instructed to, te to treat the drug companies as clients. <laughs> yes. Well, well that, that, there are a few uh, who dare to speak loudly. Uh, there's a, a Danish author, also I can't remember his name. But uh, I, I would suggest to, to reading uh, Peter Goetz's book about uh, the, the drug company. He has proved that uh, he has given all the proofs. Well, Dr. Ravenskuff, I really appreciate uh, you staying up or, or getting up so early uh, in Sweden tonight, this morning, and uh, a fascinating uh, perspective on what we've sort of taken for granted for so long, the cholesterol myths, and uh, people can get a hold of that at your website. Just to, I've linked up to you on uh, richardserrett.com, so just click on Dr. Ravenskuff's name, and it'll take you right there, and the book is there for free. Thank you so much, Dr. Ravenskuff. Thank you for listening to me. All right. Uh, next week, of course, we'll talk about Ebola with Dr. John Apsley in two weeks' time. The Honorable Paul Hellyer, former defense minister, former deputy prime minister of Canada, will be here to talk about his new book, The Money Mafia. Tim Spreen, Hugh, Albert Venzel, thank you. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you see in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.